Let us pray. So, Lord, may our hearts cry truly be holy, 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 for indeed that is who you are, O Lord God, the Lamb that was slain. We give you thanks. We praise your holy name. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here, and it's, I'm glad to see most of us got the memo and remembered one service at 10 a.m. So we had a wonderful afternoon yesterday at True Road Church. I know a number of you were there to um, honor Bishop John and Meg. Just a wonderful service of folks reflecting on Bishop John's ministry and, and on Meg's ministry beside him, and a wonderful time of celebration. So... Um, many years of faithful service, 15 years serving as a bishop. So we are so grateful for them and for that time yesterday. I invite you to take out your Bibles or devices this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Our gospel reading for this morning encompasses what is known as the Beatitudes or the Blessings and um, teachings of Jesus that, as New Testament scholar Craig Keener says, describe how kingdom-ready people live how kingdom-ready people order our lives. Now, I am not going to preach on all of the Beatitudes this morning. That is way, way, way too much. Um, I may do a series at some point in the future where we take a, a Sunday and look at each of the Beatitudes individually. But today, I want to focus on just one of these Beatitudes or blessings which Jesus taught us. And that is Matthew 5, verse 6, this blessing or beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Righteousness. I suspect when you hear the word righteousness, a whole range of ideas and pictures come to mind. Some accurate and some not so accurate. It can wrongly bring to mind some form of prudishness or of being narrow-minded or harsh or pictures of vehement legalism. Righteousness is a word which we read frequently in Scripture, but one which we may not think about a whole lot or which has unscriptural and incorrect connotations in our minds. Far too often when you or I think of righteousness works or trying to be a good person comes to mind. We may think of a list of do's and don'ts. Or you and I may think of what we each need to do. But biblical righteousness is actually more about being, hear that, about being than doing. Scripture is actually quite clear that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have no righteousness of our own. Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And righteousness in Scripture is not simply a matter of our actions or outward behaviors conforming to a set of standards or laws. And this, I would say, is consistent throughout all of Scripture, both the Old and the New Testaments. Instead, when the Bible speaks of righteousness, it speaks of righteousness in terms of relationship. It is a way of being and of actions and behaviors growing out of that being, 
which demonstrate that through God's initiative, you and I have entered into a living, redemptive relationship with him. Because, brothers and sisters, righteousness comes from God. It is not native to us. Ultimately, righteousness is a way of being and then doing that is the outworking of the character of God in us. In other words, growing in Christ's likeness, growing in Christ's character, both first inwardly and then from the inside, then outwardly, is what godly righteousness is all about. In terms of God's dealings with each of us who trust him, he demonstrates his righteousness by offering redemption and salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, through a living relationship with him. Isaiah 45, verses 24 through 25 say this, Only in the Lord, it shall be said of me, are righteousness and strength. Did you hear that? Only in the Lord. To him shall come who were incensed against him. And the Lord, all the offspring of Israel, shall be justified and shall glory. In Psalm 103, we read, The Lord works righteousness and justice for those who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. For those who have trusted God alone for salvation, who have entered into this unique and wonderful relationship with him, to us he gives his righteousness. Not our own, because we have none in and of ourselves. He gives us his righteousness. Specifically, he does this through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's where we must really begin today before we really get to the heart of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, verse 6. Again, the righteousness we have is not native to us. It is a gift of God's grace, of his unmerited favor. And this righteousness only comes in faith through Jesus Christ. And that's my first point this morning. We have a righteousness through Christ. We see this truth throughout both the Old and the New Testaments. In the Old Testament, I think of Abraham, where we read in Genesis 15, 6, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. The New Testament tells us a great deal regarding this wonderful gift of God as well. Romans 1.17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then Romans 3.21-22, through 22, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe in him. Philippians 3, St. Paul writes these words, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We are righteous, brothers and sisters, because of and through Jesus Christ, and only because of and through him. And that's the first aspect of godly righteousness. We need to understand that through Christ and faith in him, we are declared righteous. We are declared righteous in a sense and justified before the legal bar of God, if you will. 
But there's also another aspect or dimension of God's righteousness, which is to be experienced by us as Christians as well. And it is God's design for us. And this is a practical walking, living, and growing in righteousness. Because the righteousness that God gives to us in Christ is not just a legal declaration where we are declared righteous and justified before God, but it is also a lived, actual, and true righteousness that God makes a part of our being. And with all due respect, that's where some of what we would call the magisterial reformers during the Reformation kind of, I don't believe, didn't go quite far enough because they talked about this declared righteousness but they kind of, in response to some of the other things going on in culture at the time, didn't talk much about the real, actual, lived righteousness that God makes ours through Jesus Christ. God makes this a real possibility through Jesus, but it must be lived out. It must be by God's grace at work in us, sought, pursued, and desired by us as Christians, as the people of God. We must hunger for God's righteousness. And it is this aspect, I believe, or dimension of righteousness that Jesus is specifically speaking of in Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When we come to Christ, yes, we are declared righteous, we are justified, but he, by his spirit working in us, will cultivate and stir in us a hunger for true, lived, actual, real, godly righteousness. He puts this kind of hunger in us. And my question for each of us, beginning with me this morning, is are you hungry? And what are you hungry for? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, writes this. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find my, in myself a desire with no experience in which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. We hear a great deal of talk in Christian circles and promotion of products, quite frankly, marketed to Christians today about spiritual maturity, identity, purpose, ministry passions, spiritual gifts, power, effective witnessing skills, Christian happiness. I could go on and on and on and on. And many of these things are good and godly things. There are some really good books and some really good resources available to us along with some real junk as well. Some junk that has more to do with American consumerism than it has to do with biblical Christianity. But what we rarely read or hear about are resources designed specifically to help us grow in righteousness. As New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says, people chase from preacher to preacher and conference to conference, seeking some vague blessing from on high. They hunger for spiritual experience. They thirst for the conscience of God. But how many hunger and thirst for righteousness? Righteousness, godly righteousness, 
is more basic and more essential than any of these other things. It's more essential than identity or purpose or ministry passions or spiritual gifts or power or effective witnessing and certainly more than happiness. But hear me, righteousness, growing in God's righteousness in reality is the wellspring from which the real, genuine, healthy expressions of all of these other things flows. As we grow in godly righteousness, we will grow in spiritual maturity. As we grow and develop in hungering for godly righteousness, he will reveal godly passions and stir them in our lives. We will understand more clearly our purpose in Jesus Christ. We will walk and operate in the fullness of the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit. We will be effective witnesses. We will know what true joy and happiness and peace in God's kingdom looks like. Hungry and thirsting for righteousness is not wanting to be or to do a little bit better. It's not an option. It must be, hear me, it must be our burning passion and desire as Christians. Not because of law, because of love. Jesus tells us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That means that this hunger and thirst is as important to our spiritual lives and its food and drink are to the health of our physical lives. They're essential. Is that true for you and me? Without food and drink, we die. So what are you hungry for? There is no passive longing for something here. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness must be an active desire stirred up in each of us by God. And in its essence, it is hungry and thirsting for our lives to be conformed to God's image and to God's will. Let me repeat that. It is hungering and thirsting for our lives to be conformed to God's image and to God's will. Is that your desire? Is that the cry of your heart? Is this the all-consuming passion of your life and mine? To be further conformed to God's will, even if it means walking the difficult path, the path that is less traveled, walking and being different than the world around us, sometime receiving scorn and shame and mocking for that. Sometimes even being different than so-called Christian pop culture around us. Even when it is difficult, even when it is hard, even when it is awkward. Is this the all-consuming passion of our lives? And for any of us, beginning with me, if it is not, then we are not hungry and thirsting for righteousness in the way that God has designed and saved us to. If this is God's design, and clearly it is, then what can help us to both grow in our hunger and thirst? And there are a number of things I could mention, but I will look at two this morning. The first is hungering for God's truth, hungering for God's word. If we desire to live a consistent pattern of life in conformity with God's will, it must begin with a hunger and desire for God's word as revealed in Holy Scripture, the Bible. There is no other place where God's will is set so clearly forth for us. We need to delight 
in God's word. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Psalm 119, verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then verse 40 of Psalm 119, Behold how I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. If we want to understand and grow in God's righteousness, we need to read the manual. We need to dwell on it, meditate on it, allow God's truth, God's word to soak into us and permeate the very core of our being. Something that doesn't become, sat- something doesn't become saturated unless it soaks for an extended period of time and not to denigrate the word of God. But, you know, I really enjoy corned beef and cabbage. But you don't drop a corned beef brisket into a pot and get it up to temperature and warm it for a few minutes, drop the cabbage in, and then take it right out, do you? You let it kind of sit there on a slow boil for for hours, and that flavor permeates everything in that pot. And that's that's pretty basic. But that's really how it works with God's truth as well, that we allow it to soak in and to permeate the entirety of, of our being. Our prayer book is a wonderful tool to help us with that. It maps out how to read through the scriptures in the course of a year, the prayers, the daily offices, all those wonderful things. And if you don't have a prayer book, see me and we will help you get one. It's a wonderful companion to Holy Scripture to help us to grow and be saturated with the truth of God's word. And being conformed to his righteousness because hungering and thirsting for righteousness is being conformed to God's will and to the image of Jesus Christ. Second, if we're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness to the point of being filled, as Jesus promises that we can be, it means hungering and thirsting for God's priorities in our lives. And there's a single question that should, should and indeed can guide every aspect of our life. Not that I always get this right. I'm with you in this, but this is the question we need to ask. When we're confronted with a decision, when we're confronted with something, is this going to help me to draw closer to God and be conformed to his will or not? Is this going to help me to draw closer to God and be conformed to his will or not? In Romans 6, St. Paul writes, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Is this going to help me to draw closer to God and be conformed to his will or not? I can assure you, if we prayerfully ask God that question with life decisions and things we're confronted with, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. The world we live in and Satan, the enemy of our souls, both call to us, trying to entice us and make us hungry for things that leave us hollow, broken, and empty. Things that stir ungodly hungers in us that can never be filled or satisfied because they aren't true, because they are false, because they are not the heart and the will and the plan of God. 
Brothers and sisters, we were not created for these things. We are not redeemed for, but redeemed from those things so that we can have fullness of life in Jesus Christ. These things that are not of God's will, things that don't help us to be conformed to the will of God, if we pursue them, they will consume us, destroy us, cause us to miss God's will and God's salvation in our lives. Things like power, fleshly lust, desire for stuff. You name it. They simply leave us more empty, starving, and dying of thirst. Very much like giving a thirsty person salt. What happens if you give a thirsty person salt or something, a food that is laden with salt? They thirst more and more and more, but it's thirsting in this case for the wrong things. In contrast to these things of the world and the world's deceptions, Jesus fills and satisfies us. John 4, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, speaking of the things of this world, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will give him, give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And the wonder of it is the more we hunger and thirst for God's kingdom and his righteousness, the more he fills and satisfies us. And the more we are empowered to walk in and be conformed to his will, growing ever more satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The story is told, it's not a story, it's a true account. And some of you in the military, particularly or military historians, are well aware of this, of the USS Indianapolis near the end of World War II. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Tragic, tragic story. On July 30th, 1945, the battlecruiser USS Indianapolis was returning from a mission delivering enriched uranium to Allied forces in the Pacific. It did not make it home. A Japanese torpedo hit the cruiser on its way back. It sank in minutes, and only 12 minutes, 300 of the 1,200 men in the crew died. 900 went into the water, enduring four days and five nights without food, water, and under the blazing sun of the Pacific. Of the 900 men that went into the water, only 316 survived the lack of water and the sharks. And I actually was on a plane flight home about 10 years ago with a gentleman who had been a reunion of Indianapolis survivors, which was an incredible thing to see and just for a moment interact with someone from that horrible, horrible situation. One of those who survived was the chief medical officer who recorded his own experience where he wrote, there was nothing I could do, nothing I could do but to give advice bury the dead at sea, save the life jackets, and try to keep the men from drinking the water. When the hot sun came out and they were in the crystal clear ocean, we were so thirsty. You couldn't believe it wasn't good enough to drink. I had a hard time convincing the men they shouldn't drink. The real young ones, you take away their hope, you take away their food and water, and they would drink the salt water and they would go fast. I can remember striking the ones who were drinking the salt water to try to stop them. 
then they would get dehydrated, they would become maniacal. There were mass hallucinations. I was amazed how everyone would see the same thing. One man would see something and then everyone else would see it. Even I fought the hallucinations off and on. Something always brought me back. But just like those men in a horrible, horribly tragic situation where for several days no one even knew, knew the ship had sunk, were in the ocean surrounded by all this water that seemed so promising to them, but that was polluted with salt. That's what the world will do to us if we hunger for the things of this world. We drink them up and we lose our bearings as, as these sailors became maniacal, if you will, in the blazing sun and scorched. They became delusional and lost their bearings and it destroyed them. It, it took their lives. Not so with God. God calls us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And as we do, we will be satisfied and we will grow in Christ-likeness. We will grow to evermore reflect the character and the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will continue to be filled to ever greater measure with the fullness and the goodness of God. What are you hungry for? Let us pray. Father, thank you that you give us as new creations in Christ your righteousness. You make us bearers of your image, of your character, of your heart. And as in our being we desire you and more of you, you truly do fill us and the more we hunger for you, the more you satisfy and fill in ever-increasing measure and use us for your kingdom purposes. So Lord, take what is in one sense a heavy message filled and saturated with your truth. Enlighten it because we know that as we hunger and thirst for you, all godly desires that you place in our lives are filled and met. But we have no other but you. So Lord, may we desire you. May we repeatedly and in life discern and ask with each situation, with each opportunity that confronts us, is this going to help us to draw closer to you, to be conformed to your image and grow in your character and righteousness or not? And Lord, give us grace. Give us your power to make those decisions that will feed us so that we would be truly righteous people that out of being, would ref we would reflect the actions and attitudes and ways of your kingdom. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.